Hey everyone, this is Lass Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we're talking about your four and four Detroit Pistons. Ben and I talk about the Pistons' underperforming offense, the dilemma of what to do with Stanley Johnson and, and Reggie Jackson, and I have breaking news from my sources. Yes, I have sources. I know people who know things. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what y'all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you should be following DetroitBadBoys.com because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Hey, I am uh, about as excited to talk about the Pistons as they were to play the Philadelphia 76ers this week. So, uh, yeah, kind of a rough week, I think, right? I mean, 0-3, the record isn't terrible. In fact, we kind of called that one. Man, there were some there were some rough moments this week. So uh, let's talk about it. Yeah. So losing to Bro- losing to Boston, uh, losing to Brooklyn in overtime on a back to back, and losing to Philly is how the week went. That's not the the best week I think in the in the history of the Detroit Pistons. But I am not ready to panic just yet. Uh, the Pistons are four and four, but they've lost to. The top, the what, the second place team in the East, which would be Boston twice, um, a top four team in the East in Philadelphia once, and they lost on a back to back. So for all, for a variety of reasons, I you could foresee a, a a way in which the Pistons would lose all of those games, even if they uh, played better or worse uh, in each of them individually. Um, it would have been nice to win that Brooklyn game. That's the kind of game you like to win in October, so you can have it in your back pocket in April. But um, that it's acceptable, I suppose. In that Philadelphia game, uh, yes, the Pistons look woefully unprepared to play the game of basketball on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. However, that was quite literally the worst officiated game I have seen in quite some time. Uh, that was a capital offense against the game of basketball. That was just... I was a very, very ugly game to watch. And so you can you can just burn the tape on, on the Philadelphia uh, loss. I mean, yeah, Andre tries too hard against Joel Embiid. And uh, yeah, the Pistons. And yeah, like Blake scored 38 points. But uh, the two teams combined to shoot 92 free throws uh, for the game. Joel Embiid shot 17 free throws in the first half. That's just like, that's just not how NBA basketball is played right like so in my mind that loss is predictable and uh, excusable does that make sense it absolutely does yeah yeah and i mean we talked about this last week we we said there it's easy to imagine that they struggle against boston and philly because they struggled against boston and philly already right um and and that jersey game i keep calling them new jersey i mean a lifetime of calling them the, the new jersey nets i guess dies hard 
um, Brooklyn, we kind of called that game as a as a trap game. Um, the Boston game with I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of quibbles with that one. I mean, they they played them mostly competitively ish, I guess. Like it, it was at least competitive toward the end of the game. The New Jersey game, obviously losing the way they did. You know, Dinwiddie's revenge I feel like is going to be a theme for the rest of his career against the Pistons. <laughs> Yep. And then uh, the the only thing that I, I didn't like was like the first two and a half quarters of Philly. Like they just checked out. Um, but fortunately we got, we got to see them at least push back and, and give a little bit of effort towards the end and, and really push Philly to make them close it. But yeah, I think you're right. It's definitely not panic time, um, but I do think it's time to reassess a few things. And, and I think, we're going to unpack some of this as we talk about some of these guys and, and some of the strategy that we're seeing. Um, first thing to ass- assess overall, um, Reggie Jackson uh, off the ball isn't working. I'd like to, to get your thoughts on, on what you're seeing. Stanley Johnson uh, mostly isn't working. Um, and, and I think GR three deserves some extended looks. And then, you know, just overall, this is something that just jumps off the stat sheet at me. Team assists are down about 18% year over year. Some of that you can attribute to the cold shooting. In fact, a a good chunk of it you probably can. But I I think you're also seeing a lot more ISO ball and and a lot less pick and roll and almost no motion offense. So those are kind of three things that I think maybe it's time to take a look at. Don't panic. Don't burn it to the ground. Don't change everything because what you've got going with Blake Griffin in particular is working but there's certainly a few tweaks related to how guys are being used, maybe some tweaks to the rotation in that plan B that we've talked about a lot. What do you do when it's not a Blake ISO? And right now they're not doing a whole lot of anything. So definitely we can talk about the team assists. And I, I wish I knew like numerically how much of that to attribute to the fact that they're just not making shots at the rate that they have in the past, especially guys like Reggie Bullock. Um, maybe to a lesser degree, degree, a guy like Langston Galloway. Um, and, you know, obviously missing Luke Kennard puts a, a strain on the shooting guard rotation. Uh, we've seen Bruce Brown uh, play um, more minutes than expected, I think is, is the fairest way I can, I can say that. And his shot making and uh, shot making, shot taking ability is, you know, not where you would want it to be, but like understandable for where a second round rookie would be in his NBA career at this time. Um, I definitely think that there is an opportunity to move the ball more. Um, I would like to see, I would definitely like to see more or fewer Blake isolations, um, even though that's, that's what's working. It, it could be working better, better when guys make shots. And I think that as guys make shots, the, the floor will, will space itself a little better and make can make itself conducive to running more pick and rolls and things like that. I also think that we will start to see more, or I hope we'll start to see more Reg Jackson, Andre Drummond minutes without Blake Griffin on the court. We saw a little bit of that against Brooklyn and uh, it looked, it looked uh, it, that was when Reggie, I think looked the most effective he had been all week. And of course that, that gave him the confidence to take some ill-advised shots in crunch time against Brooklyn but uh, still, if you if you can make Reggie as effective as possible um, in the pick and roll without Blake Griffin on the court, I think you I think you have to try that. Um, Reggie being off the ball is is not working because now his his three point shooting 
percentage has dropped from like 40 to like 31 or something. And so I, while I don't think he's a 31% three point shooter, I also don't think that him being off the ball is spacing the floor as well as they'd like it to. And so I'm interested to see how much the Ishmith Reggie Jackson backcourt uh, experiment continues. Um, I have a suspicion that we will, instead of seeing uh, like Reggie and Ish play together, I think we'll just see more Ish Smith because that's what's working. And Dwayne Casey seems very much like a guy who would like to stick with what's working, you know? Yeah. So here's my thing. Like when it comes to the Ish and we're, we're jumping ahead in our notes and that's cool. Like, cause I, I want to talk about this, right? Like, Ish Smith is doing the things that you would expect Reggie Jackson to be doing, even when Reggie Jackson is on the court. And it's been fun to watch because Ish Smith has become a player. Is he 30? Like, I think he's 30, right? So he's, yeah, he's 30 years old. You're watching a dude who's 30 years old, who hasn't lost a step and has suddenly developed like a killer's instinct in terms of getting to the rim and knocking down clutch three pointers from everywhere. And it's been marvelous to watch and it's been fantastic to watch, but it's the kind of thing you would totally have expected out of Reggie Jackson, right? You can't say, well, you know, Reggie's not doing that because it's Blake Griffin's show because Ish Smith is able to do that when it's Blake Griffin's show, right? Those two guys are on the floor together and Ish is still finding a way to be productive. You know, so if it were me, I, I think you're right. I would I would ride Ish while he's hot and hopefully it sustains itself. But I'd find a way to let Reggie Jackson lead the second unit then because their second unit struggles offensively. And there's, you know, there's guys hurt. Two of our best shooters are hurt. And that, that obviously hurts everything. But the second unit could use a playmaker. And if if Reggie is not working in the starting lineup and if he's not working in the Ish Smith Reggie Jackson combo backcourse, then to me it makes all the sense in the world to move him to this to the second unit and let him have the ball, right? Because that's the thing he is absolutely the best at. The thing that jumps out about Reggie Jackson's stat sheet right now is that one of his best qualities, one of the things that he brings to the table, um, as, as well as anybody we've seen from Detroit in a long time, is his passing out of the pick and roll. He does dribble a bit too much sometimes, and and I can live with that when he's passing well. But this season, because he's been almost exclusively off the ball, at at 28 years old, right, at at the prime of his career, even coming off an injury, his assist rate is lower than it has ever been at 17.5%. Prior to that, his lowest season was his rookie year. And I think that has everything to do with the way he's being used and everything to do with the rotation and scheme of the rotation that Dwayne Casey has, has chosen to use. So it's, it's time to reassess this. This is not working for Reggie Jackson. It's not working for the team. Uh, e- either move him to the second unit or give him the ball more in the first unit. And I think the latter just makes a little more sense, given that Ish and Blake have been so successful with the ball in their hands so far. I, I wonder if they, so they've done the thing where um, like Bruce Brown will start the first six minutes of each half and then like never play again because he's a supremely limited uh, offensive player. Um, I wonder if that would something, an arrangement like that would be beneficial to Reggie, just like have Reggie start each quarter and have Ish close each quarter, just in a way that um, equitably splits the minutes. You could still find a way to have Ish Reggie lineups and um 
but that would enable Reggie to start the second and fourth quarters, you know, with more bench guys with the ball in his hands a little bit more um, while Blake Griffin is usually not going to be on the court. Uh, how does that, how does that strike you, Ben? It sounds worth a try. I mean, um, you know, both of these guys are playing big minutes. It's just playing 28 minutes a game. Reggie's playing 30. You can swap that and be fine. I mean, if you're both going to be playing big minutes anyways, um, I like, I like him with the ball in his hands. That's where he's at his best. So any combination of experiments that allows that to happen, I think, um, would be worth doing. And if you can do it when Blake is resting, which I think your proposal makes that happen, then then I think you got to try it because Blake is too good to not have the ball in his hands. And Reggie Jackson's best skills are just being totally and completely underutilized. Um, so I would think for the sake of the entire team, right. And they forget egos, forget who starts something like that is worth a shot. Definitely. Yeah. Speaking of guys who uh, maybe need to check the ego at the door and uh, forget about starting. Uh, Stanley Johnson has been good and bad, but more bad than good this season. Um, the, I think it was, it was, there's a sequence at late in each of the Boston and Philadelphia games where you see why both um, he is, uh, why you see why he's on the court under Dwayne Casey and you see why in, in crunch time and you see why that, that that's not a tenable position um, in crunch time in Boston, I believe he, he shut down Jason Tatum completely for possession, um, did a, an amazing job. The kind of, the kind of defensive job that no one else on the roster is capable, capable of doing. And then they come, they get a stop. They come down, um, with, I think, uh, I think they're down five and he gets the ball on a kick out and travels and, like turnover momentum gone. Right. And it's like, uh, if, if only they could, and then uh, against against Philadelphia, similar thing, right? He shuts down Ben Simmons for an entire possession. Simmons did not have a great game uh, against Detroit, and you would lay the responsibility for a lot of that at Stanley's feet. Uh, however, Stanley missed uh, two wide-open three-pointers, uh, one coming off a of Blake double team where uh, there was like literally no other offensive option than for him to take it. And his inability to convert those shots was part of the reasons why the Pistons were not able to close the gap any further in Philadelphia and, you know, maybe steal a game they, they shouldn't have had a chance to win. And so you see you see the good and the bad of Stanley Johnson all, all in within like a 30-second span. Um, it appears that we can no longer rely on uh, the flashes of offensive development that Stanley occasionally has uh, from day to day. This is just kind of who he is. And so what if anything, can the Pistons do with a guy who is the equivalent of like a Michael Kidd Gilchrist, you know? <laughs> it, or is he the equivalent of a Bruce Bowen? Like I, well, even, even Bruce Bowen was a good shooter from the corners, right? Like that was how he survived. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, you're right. So it's not even Bruce Bowen. Like, and, and what does that tell you? So Stanley was on the whole really bad this week, in my opinion. Um, the Boston game, okay, he shoots I think something like four for nine, but oh, let's see what he shot like one for four from deep. I think was it? Is that right? One for five from deep, right? So the thing that you really need him to do is make open shots. Doesn't do that. Yes, flashes of really brilliance. I mean. 
you can't understate, I think, how good his defense can be at times. But then couple that with six turnovers, right? So four for nine, that's 44% from the field overall, one from five from deep, six turnovers, five fouls. That's terrible. The New Jersey game, uh, the Brooklyn game, sorry, I can I can live with that game because he only takes, I think, four shots. Like he goes one for four, which is terrible, but at least he grabs some boards uh, he's engaged defensively, but he only takes four shots. And then we come to the Philly game where, um, you know, one for seven, three turnovers, four fouls. And like, is the Philly game where he had, yeah, the offensive rating of 20. That That's just mind bogglingly terrible. Like that is, is so bad. It's hard to even put into words how bad it is. Um how do you use him with this roster is the question. When you're built around Blake Griffin, you're starting Bruce Brown and Stanley Johnson at the two and the three. It, it doesn't work. It, it just doesn't work. You absolutely have to have some shooting. And uh, the question is always like, are you doing more things positive than you are negative? Like, are you a net positive? One way to look at that is do you outproduce your opponent? Well, Stanley's never going to outproduce his opponent offensively, but maybe he's integral to a defensive scheme. So yeah, he needs some minutes, but, but right now his offense is just so atrocious and look, there are no signs of life. Like it's not like his jumper looks good when he takes it. Like he missed that shot so poorly in the Boston game that the refs had to double check to see if Drummond, you know, was tipping it in or if the ball was still had a chance and going in and Brad Steven gets a technical. I mean, that play right there is just so indicative how poor he is offensively that for me, like I'm just ready to move on from him. I'm ready to move him to the bench where, you know, you play him for 15 minutes or 20 minutes a night when you need those stops, but he is so crippling to the offense because he shoots a lot. He turns the ball over like crazy and he's such a non-threat that you can just leave him completely wide open. And it makes absolutely no difference because an open shot or a contested shot, it's six of one half dozen of the other for him, unfortunately. And I know that's harsh, but I just feel like in order for the Pistons to be a winning team this season, they have to get something out of the three. They have to get some shooting out of the three so that not everyone can just double team Blake Griffin all of the time. And Stanley Johnson hasn't proven that he's capable of doing that. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if that three or four years from now, right? Like when Stanley's 25, 26 years old, he develops a jump shot and he finds success somewhere. Like that would not surprise me if that happens because he's still 22. But this season, the Pistons have to go on and winning some basketball games and they just don't have time for Stanley Johnson to, you know, to, to continue to do what he's doing offensively, in my opinion. So two things. Did you see my tweet earlier today about how uh, something I've observed uh, with the Pistons is that at least once per game, the Pistons get a free three second violation on the opposing team because Stanley or Bruce's guy is just standing in the lane. <laughs> exactly. Unaware. Yep. yep. So it's like, okay, well that, that is the sum total of Stanley's offensive contribution some nights, which is not a great place to be. Um, secondly, um, the way that I have begun to think about this, uh, Steve Henson's article on why he was such a big Stanley uh, advocate really shaped a lot of the ways that I try and think about this stuff. Uh, Steve has said that, you know, Stanley has been a, he's been a net negative player on the year or uh, in his career, 
but his net negativeness is much less than you would expect it to be given his lack of offensive capability. And so like how great must his defense be in order for him to get to where he is like net. And so like, I've tried to look at that. I've tried to look at the things Stanley does on the defensive end. I do think that he instills a, a physicality and a mentality that is lacking from others on the roster. And I think that is valuable, but I, I continue to think that it is less value than just the ability to knock down open shots. And so, you know, I have a little bit of news. Uh, I was, uh, I have some sources across the league. Um, one of them has uh, offered up to me that there will be a change in the starting lineup and Glenn Robinson will replace Stanley Johnson in the starting lineup uh, on Monday against the Miami Heat. I feel like we need a sound effect or something because I think that's the first officially sourced comment we've had on the pod. So I feel like, do we need like a, a Laz's sources segment or something? Someone come up with a better name yeah, for that. If, but, if someone uh, also come up with a sound effect because I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we can have a little segment, right? Like Laz's sources. No, this, this Laz would be fantastic and uh, I would be extraordinarily happy with that change. And Glenn Robinson, look, he's going to frustrate us defensively, I think, at times. But, I mean, all he needs to do is shoot 33% from deep. That's all he needs to do offensively to – to tremendously free things up for the rest of the offense. And so I, I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of Glenn. I've talked him up on this podcast before. I've actually been paying attention to his defense for the last couple of games um, for the last, you know, four or five games, not just this week to see how, if he were to be in the starting lineup, how bad the defensive drop-off would be. And I don't, I think it it's definitely would be noticeable, but I don't think it would be that bad, honestly. Um, his- yeah, let me rephrase what sure, I mean sure. because I think what it what it will be is not that Glenn himself his inadequacy will frustrate us because I don't think he's an inadequate defender. I think there will probably be possessions where we'll say, "Yeah, if Stanley were in there, that that might have gone down differently." And that's not so much a criticism of Glenn Robinson as it is we've been accustomed to Stanley Johnson being ultra reliable defensively. Right? No, that's, that's fair. So the main, the main issue I've observed with Glenn's de- defense is that uh, he hones in on the guy with the ball and doesn't always watch uh, a lot of off ball movement and gets into trouble uh, that way. Um, he did a fairly decent job of staying with and in front of Zach Levine in the bulls game. Um, he lost Joe Harris a couple times off screens uh, against Brooklyn. That's a big no-no. Um, but I think if you if you once we're once we look we look at the the Pistons' defensive scheme this year, it is uh, it, I I want to say it's simple, but that like that belies like how difficult it is to execute on a consistent basis. But like the responsibilities he's he has won't be that many, and so I think he can. I definitely think he can, he can like keep track of everything and be you know, adequate defensively. And especially if Reggie Bullock is out for an extended period of time or, you know, even just a couple more games and the, and the coaching staff decides to continue to start Bruce Brown. I I think just having another guy who can shoot in the starting lineup uh, next to, next to Blake, next to Andre um, will, will be more beneficial than having just two 
very, very defensive minded guys who don't give you a lot offensively in Bruce and Stanley. Yeah. And I don't want to beat a dead horse. People are probably sick of hearing me talk about Stanley's offense, but the way you talked, um, the way you brought up Steve's point about like, how good do you have to be defensively in order to overcome how poor he is offensively? Like Pistons fans know what that takes, right? Like we, watched two championships with Dennis Rodman in the lineup and it's 20 plus years ago. I get that. But Pistons fans watched a championship in six Eastern conference finals. Um, at least some of those with Ben Wallace in the starting lineup and playing huge minutes. But each of those guys found ways to add value. Like Ben Wallace at a minimum was an underrated passer and he could at least come off of a screen for an alley-oop here and there, right? Like that was almost a given the rip baseline, you know, screen alley-oop dunk was just a staple of that offense. Stanley hasn't found anything, right? Like there has other than the occasional fast break, you talk about it as playing downhill. You know, he hasn't even found a single niche where he can say, yeah, I can, I can stake this out, right? Like this is how I'm going to contribute offensively. He just hasn't been able to find it. I mean, you're, you're right. And I also don't want to be a dead horse with Stanley. I will say that I have maintained and I continue to maintain that uh, this demotion will be a good thing for him. It will enable him to more uh, firmly establish an offensive role. I think he'll get to play downhill more against bench units, against guys who will be less physically equipped to slow him in, uh, in, in, the, in transition. And so I think, uh, and he'll function, you know, mainly as the team's backup four, I think. And that'll that'll be good for him. That's a good role for him. I think he can. I think that puts him in more position to succeed, which is all you can really ask for at this stage of Stanley's career. Yeah, and if he starts playing some backup power forward, we're going to need to have Jacob Kyvenhoven back on because he called that like three seasons ago. And when he said that, I was like, no, there's there's no way. Uh, so if that happens, we got to have Jacob on so he can uh, make me eat a little crow. Uh, if he remembers uh, exactly when <laughs> he said that, we can do that definitely. <laughs> so I, I do want to let's let's go a little bit positive. Let's go a little bit positive. Yeah. Uh, Blake Griffin continues to be fantastic for the Detroit Pistons. He's current, currently averaging twenty eight, eleven, and four. Uh, he's shooting forty five percent from three at six threes a game. Uh, his usage rate hovers around 30%, which means he's taking on almost like a third of the team's offensive possessions when he's on the court, which is ridiculous. Uh, he leads the league in uh, touches per game, which is, uh, according to the broadcast team, that is not a stat I think I ever expected to see. Most of the other guys on that list are guards, the, the James Hardens and the, uh, and, the, um, and the Russell Westbrooks of the world. I think LeBron is up there as well. But in you know those guys are all functionally in, uh, point guards or the guys who run the offense and, and Blake runs the offense in, in Detroit. Um, however, he's he's still being cramped by the lack of shooting around him in the starting lineup, which is something we've talked about. And I think that the the offense does not look as good as it does, um, not because he's not playing well but because guys are not shooting as well around him as you would expect them to. And I think that once guys uh, start shooting better, once Reggie Bullock starts hitting shots, um, we'll see uh, once Glenn enters the starting lineup, we'll see um, whether or not he hits shots around Blake and like how much that improves the offense. Um, But I think we should not 
despite the fact that the Pistons went 0-3 and that this is like not the most positive podcast in the world this week, I think we should not lose sight of the fact that Blake Griffin ha- has and continues to be uh, a, an extremely productive player for the Detroit Pistons, one that uh, they they would be in a very like tenuous position without, you know? Oh, I mean, that undersells it. I mean, they may have won two games, maybe. It's possible they, they, they would won one they game so far. Cleveland. <laughs> For sure. Exactly. They might they, they, maybe one win, but would they have beaten anyone else? I'm honestly not sure. Um, so a couple awesome things about Blake statistically this season. Um, so because he has the ball in his hands so much, his overall like rebounding rate is not going to look amazing for a power forward. And so some of the advanced numbers like wins producer, win shares, probably undersell how effective he's been. Um, but on the positive side, posting the best defensive rebound percentage of his career. The closest was his rookie season at 26.9. He's at 27.6 this year. So in spite of sharing the floor with Andre Drummond, the best rebounder in the game, uh, Blake has been a beast on the defensive glass. I, I was really critical of him last year because he rebounded the ball poorly in Detroit. One of the worst rebounding seasons he's ever had was last year with the Pistons. Uh, he's done an amazing job on the glass especially defensively. Um, the other thing that I would say is this links back to our earlier conversation about assists being down. The offense really is getting good looks. And so I'm going to give shout out to, to Michael Snyder here because he wrote about this either this summer or the end of last season. I forget exactly when. Um, but he talked about the fact that a Blake Griffin offense can still generate a lot of good shots. And I remember being skeptical. Um, we're seeing that this year though. Um, There are a lot of open shots that are being missed. Um, Obviously Luke Kennard and and Reggie Bullock being out contributes to that pretty significantly. And a lot of those shots are the direct result of what Blake Griffin is doing offensively. So um, one of his best overall seasons so far, obviously only eight games in a beast on the glass and he is the offense, right? And He's getting good looks for himself. He's not pressing. I mean, there are maybe only two, three shots a game where I sort of think, well, maybe he shouldn't have taken that one. Um, But overall, he's not forcing it. And to his credit, he has been incredibly unselfish. And that just doesn't show up on the box score because nobody's making anything. So Blake Griffin has been fantastic. I mean, other than Grant Hill, I don't I don't know if I remember a player consuming this much of the offensive role in Detroit and being the successful. I mean, he's just been absolutely fantastic. I will say that um, he has begun because of the offensive load placed upon him. He has begun turning the ball over at a rate that uh, were it to continue at that level, I would find unacceptable. But um, again, a lot of these turnovers are functions of um, guys not being in the right place or a double coming and him being unable to, to get the ball out. And in which case like better shooters surrounding him would be make teams less likely to double. And so he'd be able to take advantage of that. Um, I do. I think that um, his, his gain on the uh, defensive glass is Andre Drummond's loss, but I'm fine with that because Blake can Blake can grab and go in a way that Andre Drummond cannot. Um, I do. I also think that uh, 45% from three is, you know, slightly unsustainable. Um, I'd expect him to settle 
hopefully in like the 37, 38 range. And even then that would be the best three point shooting career, uh, season of his career. And so I would, I would, you know, I would gladly take that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if he shoots 40% from deep, right? Like if he drops off several percentage points, that's still ridiculous. I mean, and even if it's 38%, that's still very, very good. And here's here's two little fun stats that we can talk about. Blake Griffin's turnover rate, um, a little higher than you maybe want it to be. Um, fun fact, Stanley Johnson's is almost twice as high <laughs> as Blake Griffin's. And his usage rate is exactly half. So... Um, if you want to talk turnovers, we can shit on Stanley Johnson a little more. The other thing I'll say is, remarkably to me, and I've been paying a little bit of attention to this, remarkably to me, Andre Drummond's defensive rebounding rate is actually higher than it was a season ago, and it's the highest of his career, which is, it's just incredible. These two guys are dominating the defensive glass. It is one and done almost all of the time. Uh, because these two guys are just monsters on the glass. They just snatch up everything. If, the, if they get the team to miss a shot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good point. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, it, it, is, it is good to know. Like, we knew this, right? Like, if once – well, I knew this. Once, once Mike Snyder really dug into this, like, he knew this, there was – Never a world in which Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond could not coexist on the basketball court. And it is good to finally see that vision uh, realized. It is good to have those concerns uh, taken care of. And it's great to have Blake Griffin as a member of the Detroit Pistons. Okay, we can stop. We can stop with the Blake love now, even though he's, he's, he's very much deserved it. But uh, we're going to do this every single week. I don't want to run out of adjectives. Um yeah, I mean, it's it's he's been great. He's just been and look, I was probably as skeptical as anybody. So I am I am happy to be completely wrong about that. He's been a blast to watch. All right. So let's see. Oh, we oh, let, let's do your numbers. Let's do your uh, the stuff you're keeping track of. Oh, yeah. few little few little statistical uh, things that I've been watching pace. Um, I don't have this on a week by week number unfortunately um last week a week ago on this podcast i mentioned that the pistons were 23rd out of 30 in the nba in terms of pace this week they took a huge jump so they jumped to 16th overall in the nba and they went 0 and 3 um so only a three-game sample but that hypothesis i have had for several years now the pistons need to run uh didn't work this week but it also didn't help that we were playing you know two two out of three of those games are against really good teams Still a negative point differential. That's to be expected. Three losses. You're obviously not going to make progress there. Um, Andre Drummond, three-point watch. Um, 0 for 2 from deep this week, which on the one hand is terrible because he's still a terrible three-point shooter. On the other hand, it was only two. Uh, and it was only um, you know two out of the three games he took one three-pointer. So I can live with that. It still makes me cringe. Uh, but I can live with those things. Um, you brought up a couple things as we were talking. So this isn't heavily researched, but a couple little numbers to think about. So a year ago, uh, Detroit Pistons, 37% from deep, right? So we were talking about how, why is the assist rate bad? Why, why are our assists down so much? Pistons took about 29 threes a game last season, which is didn't seem like that many, but it was. I mean, about 37% of them. This year, they're taking 
32 threes a game and shooting about 30% a year. So their three-point percentage is down almost 10 percentage points, and their attempts are up a little over 10 percentage points. Um, so uh, n- not good, n- not good. Um, if even like three or four of those per game go in, you're looking at a very, very different offense uh, and probably a different outcome against Boston or Philly or Brooklyn. Any one of those games could have gone a different way if two or three more three-point attempts go in. So I, I think we're on to something. As this as the three ball goes, so this team will go. Um, obviously, if Blake really starts to struggle, you can throw that out the window because Blake is carrying such a heavy load. But uh, a couple more made shots and things look a lot different. And like I think it'll I think it'll balance out, right? The three point shooting will balance itself out. Uh, Langston and Reggie are not going to shoot this badly the entire season. Luke will return. Um, on the other hand, Blake will probably not shoot forty five percent from three, and Ish will probably not continue to shoot. I believe above forty percent. So you expect yeah, yeah. you expect uh, it to even itself out, but in the end, for the Blake and Ish to settle like into the Blake to settle like the thirty seven, thirty eight, and Ish to settle in like the thirty five, thirty six range, and hopefully Reggie Bullock continues to shoot the forty percent that he shot from three for his career, and Langston is like somewhere in the thirty six to thirty eight percent range, and like if you know when that happens, that'll that'll combine to be. You know, like maybe another two threes a game, which is six full points, which is a lot of points over the course of the season. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you had a, that doesn't sound like a lot in any given game, but if you take like a really broad picture of it, if you could increase your point differential by six points, you'd be talking about like over the course of 82 games, you'd be talking about like a historic turnaround in terms of offensive production. Like it's that big of a deal. Six points a game over the course of 82 games is huge. Even just think about increasing the offensive rating of this team from like the 107, 108 range to the like 112, 113 range, right? Like that would, Oh yeah. That would pick you up a very large section of the NBA and, and would put ourselves in the, you know, top 10, top 10, uh, on offense and defensive rating that I've, that I've talked about in the past that we need to do to make the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sh- making shots, man. When shots go in, even the bad stuff doesn't look so bad. Okay, Ben. The uh, Pistons this week have Miami at home. They play at Orlando, at Atlanta, and uh, play Charlotte at home on Sunday. So uh, the Pistons are currently 4-4. Four and four. Uh, How many games do they win this week? Okay, so... The Miami game worries me a little bit just because of the, the consecutive losses. But uh, on the flip side, I, I like the Pistons more than I like the Heat. So I like that one. Um, Atlanta and Orlando. Atlanta's not a total shoe-in, but it should be close. And the Magic should be an easy win. So let's say two out of those three for sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to think about Charlotte right now. I really don't know. I haven't watched a full game of theirs yet. So I'm going to say um, two out of three in the first three. Um, we'll be talking. I don't remember what time the game is ne- a week ago or a week from today, but uh, the Charlotte's a wild card. W- what do you think? What's what's the four the ne- four game forecast look like? So I was uh, fortunate. The NBA uh, schedule gods gifted me with a Miami Atlanta home g- game last night that I got to watch mm. and take a look at both teams. Um, 
from what I can ascertain, Miami has is having trouble on defense. Um, the Atlanta the Atlanta team just pace and spaced them relentlessly. They were giving up uh, open three point shots all over the floor. Um, they were struggling to score in the in the half court, but better in um, better in transition. Uh, they with Miami so Miami so tough because they're so deep. Um, one minute it's Rodney Magruder lifting them on offense. One minute it's Tyler Johnson uh, preserving them through the the second and third quarters. Um, late in the game, it's Josh Richardson and, and Dwayne Wade with the ball in their hands. And so uh, you they have so many angles to uh, from where they can attack you from. But at the same time, there's nothing in particular you ever have to worry about, right? They they started to make Josh Richardson more of a go to guy. But um, he's he's still not quite at that level um, right now, and so like you you worry about where where he'll be next year. But like for now, he's still learning a lot on the job. I think they'll be able to to take that one. Um, Blake Griffin is a problem for Miami, yeah, isn't he? They they started Kelly Olynyk last night, and like that's not going to cut it. Yeah, and so I think that, I think they take that one. Um, I think they lose one of the at Orlando at Atlanta games, not necessarily because. Um, those teams are better than them. Well, I think Atlanta, I'm looking at the Atlanta game. Atlanta has the type of offense where if they get hot, they could just shoot the Pistons out of the, out of the gym. And they're more likely um, to get hot at home than they were, than they would be on the road. And so I would be cautious definitely with that team. Um, that team can space the floor and, and attack you. And Trey Young has been quite good for the last uh, couple weeks of the season. And then Charlotte. Yeah, I'm anxious to watch him play a full game. I haven't watched a full game yet. As yeah, he is a very, very exciting player. And you see why uh, the Hawks made the trade that they did. Um, and as far as Charlotte goes, um, Charlotte has been, well, I think, like a top five offense this year. Um, dragged mostly along by Kemba Walker. Um, yeah, no kidding. Like something. He's been the Blake Griffin of the of the Hornets for sure. Yeah, shooting something uh, in, insanely unsustainable from three and uh, just, you know, keeping the, the Hornets in everything. Um, however, they're they are not nearly as deep as a Miami, and and so I I think that uh, and they also have no one on the roster who can play, who can guard Blake Griffin, right? Just like no. zero people capable of that. And so I think it'll be that Charlotte will definitely definitely be very much like a better version of the Brooklyn game, where like if they can shut down the the attack the offensive attack from the guards um, and win with their bigs, they should win. Um, but if they can't do that, if uh, Ishmith is getting cooked by Kimball Walker like he was by Spencer Dinwiddie, then they'll lose. <laughs> you know Tony Parker's going to score like 16 points or something because the Pistons point guards can't guard anybody. Well, no. Tony Parker scored like 20 on Colin Sexton last night, and uh, <laughs> it like gave rise to a bunch of Colin Sexton takes today that were that were pretty interesting. The, the old vet schooling the, the young guy. That's how it goes the first time around every time. Oh, yeah. And it's early. The, the vet still has his legs. Yeah. <laughs> I think they go two and two this week. I think when we uh, when we talk after the Charlotte game on Sunday, the Pistons are six and six. And uh, hopefully the offense is in a better place. But uh, I think two and two is a fair, uh, fair place to, to be at the, at the end of next week. Yeah, and we're going to test those sources. We'll see. We'll see that GR3 in the starting I, lineup or not. So I'm, I'm I, I will see what I happens. trust the source. However, I only have one source. And, you know, they they teach you in journalism school you need at least two and probably three to be, like, absolutely sure that a thing is happening. Okay. 
I only have the one source. I feel good about leaning on this okay. one source, but if it does not happen, okay. uh, I'll just, you know, talk to my source and be like, hey, what, what happened? Right. Question mark. Yeah, that's all right. You've qual- you've qualified it enough. And look, I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, even a rumor about Glenn Robinson starting is good enough right. for me at this point. All right, Ben. Do we talk Big Ten football? Do you want to or no? <laughs> <laughs> I fell asleep. I fell asleep during the Michigan game. It was so boring. I fell asleep in the third quarter because they were ahead by so many points and woke up at the with like six minutes left. So that was that was a good week. A good kind of boring game. Um, us too. But I was I was uh, very saddened by the fact that the Pistons played the same time as Michigan State did. Oh yeah. See, I had one right after the other, so that was perfect. Yeah. I was so tired from watching the Pistons, I just fell asleep. Who schedules a one p.m. Saturday game? You know, I thought there was going to be some explanation, right? Like there was a holiday like that I didn't know about, or there was like someone was being recognized in the community. And I I even took time to watch the pregame, which I never, ever, ever do. And nothing. It was just a one o'clock game on a Saturday. I wonder if there was a hockey game, right? Because I think they use that arena for. Oh, that's a good idea. That that very well may be the case. Okay, I'll have to I'll have to look that up because I also didn't know. But yeah, I was also like in a in a stupor at one a.m. with the sun <laughs> blaring through the windows. Like this is not the time for basketball. This doesn't feel right. <laughs> All right, Ben. What's the uh, what's the best place for people to talk to you on social media? Hit me up on Twitter at brgolker. Love talking Pistons and other things as well. I think uh, at like around the fifteen game mark, we'll have to do uh, like a, a call in, a Twitter question podcast. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. yeah. So you should hit me and Ben up uh, on Twitter in order for us to do that, and I'll tell you guys when. Um, you should hit me up on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, if you have any information about the Detroit Pistons and would like to be a source of mine, I'd be down for that. <laughs> Also, if you're a source about the Pistons and you're listening to this podcast, um, maybe reevaluate your priorities. That's all I'm going to say about that. You would, I think, you would be surprised how <laughs> how many people uh, from within the Pistons or one with within various NBA organizations like consume content about their team. Oh yeah, right? they listen to they listen to the fan bases. So yeah. well, and we know Stanley Johnson listens because he blocked <laughs> you. So <laughs> I've got to be next. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. The, the wheels have fallen off this podcast, lads. We got to end it. We got to end it. All right. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>